Good morning, Wisconsin. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Monday show. And we're going we're gonna to kick off something new this week that's going to continue on through the rest of the year as we, we unpack this crazy 2024. And uh, Mondays, Mondays are going to be a place for journalism and journalists. And we got two good ones today. Sitting to my sort of right from the Journal Sentinel, I'm Mary Spacuza. Let's get her mic on there. Oh. There we go. There we go. Thanks for having me. Fellow Sicilian, by the way. <laughs> right. Yes. And we're, we're actually going to talk about that because that's part of a great series that you wrote for the Journal Sentinel on, on your cousin, uh, which is a sad story, but I mean, it's part of the Sicilian story here in Milwaukee. Joining us on the phone. Tri-County Contracting Hotline is another great reporter, Jesse O'Poyan. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning, Steve and Mary. Morning. Great to have you on the phone. So we're going to do a lot of things in these hours, but I, I, as we go forward, there's, there's about 12 different journalists that are going to be kind of rotating in groups. I want to sort of look at the news. I want to, this is my selfish reason, I want to reestablish the, the significance and importance of journalists in our society, in our culture, in our country, because as as you guys both know, They've been taking a lot of hits, and I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's deserved, and I think it's um, dangerous to sort of look at journalism in that way. But I want to start with this one, sort of a general question. I'm going to start with you, Mary. Biggest story of the weekend, your mind. Oh, boy. There have been – I feel like this weekend was like a million years long. Uh, Kicked off with um, some news on the redistricting front in Wisconsin, which I was going to defer to Jesse on that one because she was covering it. Um, but that that kicked off the weekend. Then the weekend ends with the Grammys and the reemergence of, you know, Tracy Chapman. Slim that was Dion, that was a great. If you haven't seen the five minute video, Jimmy Mitchell. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's good stuff. Who, who I, by the way, had a a, a a Milwaukee based backup band. Yes, yeah. uh, Joni Mitchell with Sister Strings. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, I mean, they're they're amazing, and I don't know exactly like the details of how it happened, but they've definitely been um, in the national spotlight increasingly, and I think they're, you know, stars only rising from here. So what you you gave me two? You gave me the redistricting uh, news at the beginning of the weekend and the Grammys at the end. You, which one do you think is bigger? Oh my gosh, <laughs> so different. Uh, I mean. Uh, can can they be both pretty big? Yes. I, I think uh, I think Wisconsin the redistricting is going to continue to be a huge story, and I think um, ending the weekend with the Grammys was ended on a high note. Yeah, especially when there's no football, right? <laughs> right. There's the first <laughs> no foot- Packers to yeah, watch. Yeah, I mean they had the flag football thing, but I'm not a fan. I didn't watch any of it because I was outside. The weather was fantastic. All right, Jesse O'Poyan, your biggest story of the weekend. Well, first, I can I can add a little bit of insight on the Sister Strings connection. They've actually been playing on the road with Brandi Carlisle for the last like two or at least of hers. So wow. they actually played with her in Madison. I went and saw them. Um, and Brandi Carlisle is super tight with Joni Mitchell. So I'm guessing there was an introduction made there, which is very cool. That is cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I I was going to jokingly say this, but you know what? I think she's big enough in the news at this point, like Taylor Swift, um, breaking Grammy records and announcing a new album. Um, and with a political connection, Reince Priebus yesterday said, hey, uh, maybe it's not such a good idea for Republicans to be going after Taylor Swift in the NFL. You know, I was going to say that to the end, but since we, we were kind of <laughs> skirting around the Taylor Swift 
Swift story. Um, I know Mary's because she told me before the show that you're a big fan. Uh, Jesse, are you a big fan of Taylor Swift? I am. I saw her in Kansas City, um, actually at the show that uh, Travis Kelsey was at. Uh, oh, very cool. I'm yeah. a big fan. I'm not a, really a fan of her music, but I, I admire what she's done. I just looked up her net worth before. It's over a billion dollars. I think she's 34. Yes. And, uh, I mean, even uh, even Trevor Noah was joking about how, like, the economy of the tables around her was increasing as she walked in. (laughs) (laughs) Everything she touches, I mean, is gold. Yeah. And she seems like, and I don't know if she's doing it or she's got a manager that's brilliant. Even the fact that someone stole her music and she just put it out again. I mean, those kind of decisions, the marketing, the, the movie, which... Amazingly enough, the the studios didn't want to take, and that thing went crazy. Every decision she's made seems to turn to gold. I've got my 1989 sweater that I borrowed <laughs> from nice. my daughter behind me because a Swifty sweater. Oh yes, I, I think motherhood made me a Swifty, but my ten year old uh, and I um, just bond over Taylor Swift a lot, and she is a huge Swifty. She gave me some talking points today for later. I'll save you, but yeah, she she had some thoughts. Jesse, ten year old continue. Where do you put this? I mean, this is this is like. I don't want to say Elvis status because Elvis was Elvis and like everybody else tries to catch up to him. This is almost at an insane level, especially at that young age. What is this? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's slightly, I think it's impossible to define. Like you said, I mean, you can't really compare anything to, you know, Beatlemania or Elvis, um, but it's definitely in that realm. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, there's, there's a frenzy, there's the inevitable backlash. Um, you know, Mary and I were talking earlier. I, was not a Taylor Swift fan originally. I mean, she and I are about the same age and growing up uh, listening to her stuff, it was not for me. I think I actually really leaned into not liking her stuff. Um, And as she kind of matured as an artist and I started to respect some of, I mean, I certainly respected her business, you know, acumen and, um, you know, eventually started to appreciate her talent more. And, uh, and my mom actually who's in her seventies has started listening to her. I think there's Taylor Swift may come for us all at some point, but um you know, she like you said, she makes smart business decisions. She's an artist in her own right. Um, she's got talent, and and also like talent that sort of spans you know the spectrum. Like, is she the most talented dancer in the world? No. Is she even does she have the best voice in the world? Probably not. No. But she's got just um, an, an amazing spectrum of talent, and and um, she's so prolific. I mean, she writes music that. I think speaks to a lot of different human experiences and particularly, um, you know, a lot of the experiences of women. So, um, you know, she's, she is touching something in culture that is really resonating with a lot of people and also really, um, uh, frustrating a lot of people, I guess, for lack of a better word. Jesse, a point, and Mary Spacusa joining. Go ahead, Mary. I love her. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I bought 1989 and I think at a certain point I, I knew a lot of her songs, but I just really came around and I think being able to listen to it with my daughter, cause it, a lot of her music doesn't have a ton of swears and we were able to jump from kids bop, which any parent has probably <laughs> gotten a little sick of kids bop after a while. And so I was like, ah, oh, yeah, we could listen some, to something that we can both like. And, you know, she just broke a record, made history fourth, what Grammy for album of the year. That's phenomenal to, to do you- that at 34. I mean, to do that ever. Did you see the drama with apparently um, Jay-Z said that Beyonce deserves to have an album of the year? I'm surprised. I was surprised she didn't have one. I also think Beyonce should win album of the year. And she's actually pretty good she didn't. She's amazing. I saw her I in mean, concert. I mean, he made a great point. The number mm-hmm. of Grammys that, that she has won, and she's also an amazing artist and also an amazing businesswoman. Um, yeah, she should absolutely have that award. Let me ask yeah. you this question, because uh, this actually 
plays into something I want to ask you about later about the the Oscars and how we choose people to to be nominated and all of that stuff. Is it is it fair to look at these award shows like that? Can you can you plug and play and say, of course, Beyonce should be the album of the year? If ultimately it's just people voting, so I don't know how you would control that. I think you have to almost look at the nominations as the key point. If if it's representative of the music world, in the case of the of the Grammys, or if it's representative of the of the the acting world, then I think that's the way you have to look at it because it's an arbitrary decision. It's it's a subjective decision to pick someone who's the best at it. Yeah, and I I don't know how you would pick because some of those like I don't know it, Beyonce was not up for album of the year this year, but I don't know how you would pick between. Beyonce, Adele, Taylor Swift, like some of these phenomenal artists, but it is just looking at her body of work and all the awards she's won and the amazing albums she's put out. I, I do, I am baffled by how she hasn't won yet. And I, I do hope she, she does because she's amazing. Well, she's not done yet. So. No, no. <laughs> she's still put out she's got, oh yeah, she's got a ton of career ahead of her. So I hope she wins. All right. We got, we got Jesse Appoint on the Tri County Contracting Hotline. We got Mary Spacuza from the Journal Sentinel, as is Jesse. After the break, the politics. You both cover politics a lot in your in your day jobs. Let's uh, let's dig into some of the Wisconsin stories. See what you think is going to happen in some ways with the redistricting, because that is always a hot button topic. Although I will tell you, when I ask people about redistrict, just average folks, they often just their eyes glaze over. And I know it's it's a it's a very complex issue. Yes. But it is an interesting sort of look at Wisconsin and voting and all that stuff that we we were more interested in the end result than we are with the process. But we'll get to that with our great guest on this Journalism Monday here on WTMJ Now. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Oh, a little Taylor Swift for you on this Monday. We'll ease into the, uh, the Monday work week. Hopefully you're having a great day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for finding us. Over the air, online podcast. Our new podcasts are up now. Decision Wisconsin, Hans Cafidiology. And this week we have a great guest. I'm not going to give it away yet, but he's a radio legend. And uh, we'll tease that one a little bit more as we go about our day. I'm interviewing him this afternoon. All right. Mary Spacuza, Jesse O'Point from the Journal Sentinel. Redistricting. We had the consultant's report last week, which basically said the two Republican plans were partisan. They didn't really make a distinction between the four liberal or democratic plans i guess um you're covering these stories um who, who wants to start jesse you've been covering it a lot right sure yeah i, I have so um, so many, what, where uh, are we at in the story where are we at in this story uh, yeah so um the 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 place we're at right now is we've really got um about a month first of all for this to all be resolved um because the elections commission has said new maps would really need to be in place by March 15th for them to be in effect for the upcoming elections. Um, so we had uh, a handful of uh, a little more than half a dozen maps submitted uh, for consideration, the court and the court hired these two consultants um, who have you know worked for both parties before in different states and even in Wisconsin um, to analyze those maps. And like you said, they basically said the Republican submissions are too partisan, but didn't really didn't weigh in a ton um, in detail on the more liberal or democratic submissions other than to not rule them out uh, entirely or to not um, make a lot of differ- differentiation between any of them. Um, so we're um, right now kind of in the the legal fighting stage where each party is, um, you know, saying, hey, this is a great, great uh, report for us, or this is a terrible partisan report for us. Um, we may still see 
this challenge uh, at the at the national level. Um, Robin Boss has said he he may um, appeal this in some way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, we have no idea what that you know may look like or how that might pan out, but um, we're kind of waiting for the um, the court to take the next step here. And Mary, you you, you kind of tangentially cover this story, right? You cover politics. Uh, when you see the reaction of Republicans, do you get any sense that? And I, I said this on the show last week. Republicans in the legislature would like to see something that they could do that the governor would accept. Do you see any any possibility that for that happening in this short window that we have now? I mean, they've had plenty of time to figure this out. They haven't done that. Yeah, it's it's hard to see a point where um, like Speaker Voss and Governor Evers are going to be on the same page on any maps unless probably uh, the the legislature would approve the governor's maps to a T. Which and I, they and they did like ninety some percent, right? There were changes. I think that the governor's staff were quick to point out mm-hmm. um, and that they felt like there were changes made for a reason. And, um, you know, co- back to covering this when I was a young, you know, cub reporter, well, youngish uh, cub reporter when I was first covering the Capitol in like 2011 and going through some of the documents when these, you know, when Republicans first got the majority and were working on these maps. It is amazing the politics like down to the block of like, I will take this district, but I want this neighborhood and I want police officers in this district. And I don't know how anybody could argue that these maps weren't drawn for a reason. I mean, that's why it's called gerrymandering, you know? Well, I mean, when you think about the process, what political party, and Jess, you can jump in anytime you want here, what political party wouldn't want to gain an advantage if they have control of the legislature where, where this stuff's supposed to be decided? It's inherent in what they do. They, they want to promote their party, improve their lots, and have more votes so they can pass the legislation and the, the policies they want. So, Jesse, I guess I don't understand the back and, I, I understand the back and forth. I don't understand why this, this is hyper-partisan when the previous thing, some people say, I don't, that it was just Republicans doing their job. Well, yeah, it's, it's completely natural. I mean, and that's why you see um, in other states, I mean, Democrats in other states have strong majorities for the exact same reason. It just, you know, it depends on who's in charge at the time that you're drawing the maps. And yeah, over time that can cement, you know, more, you know, stronger and stronger majorities. Um, it's up for debate, I guess, as to you know, how much that cemented in and how much it's, it's about candidates and, um, and geographic distribution and, you know, other factors. But, um, you know, when it comes to, to drawing maps, this is the, the thing is like, if you're going to draw new maps, inevitably you're going to draw someone out of their district. And is it going to be a matter of, a few feet, a few blocks, a few miles, um, and how do you, you know, should you be considering incumbency when you're drawing new maps is one of the questions here. Um, I understand that's not a standard that's written no. into the law, though, the, the, the incumbency yeah. thing. It's not, right? It's it's not, and I think, you know, Democrats are arguing, no, you should not. Um, I think Republicans have, haven't necessarily come outright and said that you should, but um, in the in the press conferences they've held and, and the conversations they've had, it's, they've picked out, um, you know, five or six Republicans who are currently in office who under the governor's maps would have been drawn out of their districts, um, some of them by, you know, a really, really short distance and argued, well, we should be able to run in our seats that we've always represented. Democrats would counter, well, that's what gerrymandering is. So um, you're just never going to get the party that's not in power to see eye to eye with the the party that is in in power. But um, to your point, of course, it's human nature to want to hold on to power when you have it or to my, want to try to get it when you don't. Yeah, right. It's, I, so I understand the Iowa model or system 
doesn't have the legislature make the final thing. It's this, this supposedly nonpartisan or bipartisan panel. Would that work in Wisconsin? Well, yes and no. Um, so it, it, it um, the state's constitutions have some differences that would make it not exactly executed in the same way. But yeah, so in, so in Iowa, it goes through a few rounds. Um, the maps are drawn by a nonpartisan entity. Then they go to the legislature for a few rounds of approval. And ultimately, if the legislature can't agree, then um, the state Supreme Court uh, handles that. Also, in Iowa, the state Supreme Court is uh, not an elected position. It's an appointed position, although they can be recalled. So different dynamics than we have here in Wisconsin. Um, The way that uh, that proposal has been drafted here by both Republicans and Democrats in different versions, um, they've gotten very close to what the Iowa model would be, but ultimately, as a general rule, don't have it going to the state Supreme Court. Um, there's also been some disagreement over how much of the legislature you would need to agree um, to be able to say that, like, yes, you know, we can say that the legislature gave its stamp of approval to these maps. Is it a simple majority? Is it 75 percent? Um, so it, there's been a lot of uh, quibbling over the details on on those proposals. What I, what I don't get is, given this tight timeline, how would a an ask of the U.S. Supreme Court even how could that even happen, given the, this small window of time? Well. <laughs> I mean, I know you're not legal experts, but it just seems like that's impossible. It, well, it I mean, seems so like it a stretch. Very quickly, if it wants to. But, yeah, I would say it's a stretch. Um, I also think, you know, if you talk to most legal experts on this, they, they would agree, at least most precedent and most common sense would indicate that the U.S. Supreme Court just historically is not inclined to take a case like this. Um, but with the caveat that a lot of things are unpredictable these days and you kind of never know what's going to happen. She is Jesse O'Point, also joined by Maris Bakuza in, in the studio here. We'll continue our conversation with two great outstanding local journalists, state journalists, I should say, because you cover everything across the state. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about after the break with both of you is, is, is this, this story about Jolene Waldruff, a South Milwaukee woman who was unfortunately left to die. She eventually died of hypothermia and, and all of the, moments in that story that happened before that 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 horrible fate um and just from a journalist perspective i want to get you guys thoughts on that one and a whole lot more we're gonna have some fun we're gonna do some quick hitters later we talked about taylor swift uh the barbie snub at the oscars is that a thing i've got two really smart women here i want to get your thoughts on the, on the whole director is it greta gerwig is that her name right yeah there's a, mm-hmm. a great movie and I, it's the only one of the i think 10 that i saw with my wife kathy and it was a fun movie I don't know if it's the best move I've ever seen, but we'll have that conversation, some quick hitters later in the in the hour. Join us here on WTMJ now. Lucky enough to be joined by two great journalists today. Mary Spacuza in studio and Jesse O'Point on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline. All right, so uh, the story is, has been around for a little bit more than a week, and it's the story of Jolene Waldruff. She called 911. She was uh, outside, apparently fell. Um, eventually passed away from her from her injuries. Um, there were nine one one calls. She made one or two. Uh, people passing by made nine one one calls. Uh, a ambulance, Curtis Ambulance Company, responded. Sort of. They drove by a few times, and then um, ultimately, Milwaukee Fire EMS showed up, and um, she passed away from hypothermia. I guess from a journalist perspective, when we look at stories like this. We're gathering information. We're trying to find out what's the what's the right answer here. What happened? I'll start with you, Mary. When you look at this story from a journalist's perspective, 
Are we are we getting the information we need to understand what happened here? I think this one, it's such a sad story and just a tragic story. And it, it has really reminded me of the importance of local journalism and just the work of my colleagues, our, our colleagues at Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, some of the local um, TV and radio folks who've really been on top of this story and getting like uh, one of my colleagues ran out and got the 911 calls and piecing together the timeline and getting the surveillance footage. And I think more information will come out. Um, I'm really impressed by the work. Certainly my colleagues and our other local journalists have done to uncover what really happened. And um, yeah, I think there's still more questions out there that need to be answered. And I, I know we're working to get those answers, but it's, it's horrible. I don't know. You know, like, I guess it's just, how does that happen? Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo all of that. Um, you know, there's a there's a public accountability sort of element here, which involves, like Mary said, getting those 911 calls, getting the surveillance footage, um, you know, asking the people who set these policies, asking the, you know, the ambulance company, asking people in power in the community, um, you know, did, did this really happen the way that it was supposed to? Was protocol really followed? And if so, should protocol change? Um I also think um, our, our coworker Sophie Carson has a really great story out today that gets at a whole other element of this. Um, she talked to a lot of researchers and experts about just what causes someone to pass by in this situation and what what prompts someone to stop, um, and sort of the competing interests in your mind when you see someone in distress over you know should, someone should help that person, should I help that person? Um, and I, so I would really recommend people read that. It, um, you know, it's 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 tough and it's really tragic, but it, it was um, another really interesting angle, I think, to get at sort of the human element at play here. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm thinking of the story. So if I saw someone that was laying there and, and was bleeding or had a cut or, or was, like, unresponsive, I would literally stay with that person until someone showed up. I guess I don't understand the dynamic of that. And this is this is more of a, you know, as you said, the human element piece of this. And, and, and I guess... There really is no right answer here, other than to say, as a decent human being, wouldn't you have stayed with the person? I guess that's that's where it falls down for me. That's why I don't get. It. Yeah, and well, and that's you know, the, her her story really kind of gets at that. Is is that you know, a lot of people, I think most people think that they would do that, and um, then the question is, okay, well, are you thinking? it's cold out. I'm worried about my own safety. It's dark out. I'm worried about my own safety. Like, Oh, well, I'm not qualified to help. Probably someone else will help. (laughs) I'm going to mute myself while my dog barks. (laughs) I'll jump in from Jesse. Yeah. And Sophie has been doing amazing work covering the story along with, uh, um, some of our other colleagues at the journal Sentinel. Um, you know, um, shortly before this happened, this is not the same at all, but, um, I, I saw an elderly woman fall on the ice and um, me and another woman helped her up. She had cut her hand. She was bleeding. She had cut her head. Um, I walked her to the restaurant, stayed with her to stop to make sure the bleeding had stopped. We got a Band-Aid. Um, and then I went and actually tried to talk to several people about like trying to clear some ice. And I was surprised by how many people and I tried to explain what had happened. And Several people told me, well, like, that's not my job to clean the ice. That's somebody else's job. And I was about to get a shovel and, like, bring my husband up to try to break some of the ice between, like, her car so she could safely get there after going to the restaurant. And, you know, and I was kind of like, I know that's not your job, but when you have an uh, 88-year-old woman who just wants to get lunch with her friends, like, shouldn't we just help that happen and make sure she's safe, especially after she's already fallen? So totally different circumstance, but it... It is frustrating sometimes when um, 
people don't maybe, I guess you're worried about your safety. It's cold. It's dark. Um, it was not sub zero, you know, 20 below when I was helping this woman. But, um, you do like to think that you would be the person who would stop and help, right? One would hope. And I, you know, I, I, I see stories like, unfortunately, you hear about them all the time. And, and you would never want to think that there's something stopping anybody from going to the aid of a fellow human being. And, and, and just, I had a side conversation about this with some teammates the other day. And uh, part of the, the thought process was that in the age of lawsuits and all that stuff, maybe that's something that kicks in. But ultimately, it's a human being laying there. You have to. You have to do something. And it sounds like she was having trouble breathing, but it wasn't clear why. And they, I know they had um, t- like redacted some information from the 911 call. But um, I don't know, a, a, a woman or anyone in distress on a sidewalk in sub-zero dangerous weather, um, you just want to think you would help, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, we're gonna, you got something to add, Jesse? Well, yeah, I, I agree with all of that, but it also, you know, for, for those who did call, maybe didn't stop and did call 911, you also hope that if you do that, you you may have helped, and unfortunately in this case, that didn't happen. It, it also brings up the question of private ambulance service versus, you know, the, the folks mm-hmm. who do the, the great work at the MP, at MPD, so, or Milwaukee Fire Department, rather. So um, I want to shift gears. We'll take a break here. Hildy the dog seems like she's she, she's doing good now. Hildy, <laughs> <We'll be> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you wrote a great series, Mary, uh, under the investigations tab for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and it's it's a personal story for you. I want to watch, have you relate it. But here's the headline: My cousin was killed by a car bomb in Milwaukee. A mob boss was the top suspect. Now I'm looking for answers. And if you want a great read, first off, and a great story, um, just you can Google Mary's name, and it takes you right to it, the Journal Sentinel. But it is a fantastic look. And a part of our history that I know because I'm old enough, but a lot of people don't have that connection to that story. We're talking about mafia. We're talking about hits being put out on people and some really aggressive times and violent times in our city's history. We'll discuss that with Mary and Jesse after the break. Hanging out with some journalists on this Monday. It's going to be a regular feature now going forward. We're going to, we have about 12 different Local, state, national journalists are going to jump in and talk about some of the stories of the week, stories of the year, and we have an exciting political year, certainly ahead in 2024. But uh, Mary Spacuza and Jesse Apoyan joining us. Mary wrote a great piece uh, in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the headline, My Cousin Was Killed by a Car Bomb in Milwaukee. And uh, having read this series, sort of an amazing thing that anybody that's younger than, what, 40 may not even know what this story was about. So kind of lay it out for people. Sure. So when I was a little girl, um, I was about four years old, and um, my cousin, Augie Pomisano, was killed. Um, he was the target of a car bombing in um, downtown Milwaukee, northern edge of downtown Milwaukee, at Juno Village Garden Apartments. And um, he was killed in a really violent explosion um, when he tried to start his car. And um, he was uh, very, you know, his, he was burn beyond recognition and it was just a terrible thing um in a lot of ways Milwaukee got very lucky that more people were not killed that there wasn't somebody else coming and going or what was the reason if you know there are different theories about why um one theory is that he refused to give uh, he was a he was a tavern owner he was a produce vendor yeah, side-by-side businesses yeah, yeah. It, back uh, on old commission row in the third ward it's now cafe benelux if you know mm-hmm. uh, if you know milwaukee um he was also a gambler and a bookmaker. 
um, which was also very common back then. Yeah, and it wasn't unique to him. And you know, there was a lot of folks doing that back then. Yeah, and and still today. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, now you can just do it, like, what, online or, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, so he was pr- involved in bookmaking. And um, one of the theories is that he refused to give a cut of his um, gambling proceeds to, if you want to call it the mafia, organized crime, La Cosa Nostra, um, but that the um, mob boss in town expected a large cut of those proceeds and that he refused. So that's one theory. Um, another theory is that one of his best friends was the target of an attempted car bombing about 10 months before, and apparently Augie was very outspoken about that and um, uh, allegedly called um, the boss a name to his face and um, that that was uh, heard by an FBI agent later as he was talking, as the boss was saying, um, you know, he called me a name to my face, or he was arrogant, he called me a name to my face, now they can't find his skin, kind of gloating about his murder. This wasn't uncommon. There were there was certainly all of that. You talked about the gambling piece of that, and the you know the, the mob getting their take. That was for a lot of businesses. But when you think about stories like this, it's not necessarily today, and Jesse, you can jump in on this too, that, that we even think about in the context of talking about Milwaukee. It's sort of back then, and not now. Do, do we get the sense that this stuff doesn't go on anymore? Uh, I think there's always, you know, if you follow the news, you'll see news about organized crime, um, any kind, not just Sicilian organized crime, obviously, but um, crime, and you'll see it bubble up in um, New York or Sicily or internationally um, or other towns. I don't know. So much of my research was focused on my cousin's murder. So I wasn't investigating like the current status of organized crime in Milwaukee. But you do wonder, like, did it all go away? What happened to the money that was made? That sort of thing where I think there I think, uh, um, you know, the past isn't as long ago as we think. You know, one of the things that I I was surprised by that we had a little bit of celebrity in this story as well one of the pieces talks about that donnie brasco yeah was part of this investigation at some point he was yeah he he came um he was here helping another undercover agent ty cobb who was going undercover as tony conti and that agent was posing as a, a vending machine operator uh, trying to start a business and um that was controlled by organized crime here so he is very lucky he was not killed, but they sent in Donnie Brasco, um, Joe Pistone, to help kind of build street cred for him, make connections, try to, he called it forming a marriage between this family in New York and the Milwaukee family, and uh, hit some wild stories about Milwaukee, like some stuff that made it, uh, that didn't make it into the main story, or we, we put, we, we had a sidebar with some of it. Um, he was talking about how he brings Lefty Ruggiero, who I think was was played in the movie um, by, was it Al Pacino? Is that who it was? I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they bring him to Milwaukee to show him around, and they take him down to Bradford Beach, and he's amazed and, and refuses to believe it's not the ocean. And he's just <laughs> insisting it's the ocean. He saw freighters something out there. It's <laughs> like, it's gotta be the ocean. the ocean. And they're like, no, no, that's like Michigan. He's like, no, it's the ocean. You, you can take, look at the ships out there. So that kind of thing where like his memory of Milwaukee and his time here is just phenomenal. Like, um, total recall. How old is he now? He's in his eighties, I want to say. I I'm, love the fact that the two things he remembers at the end of that interview had, the cold and the restaurants. Cold restaurants. Lake Michigan's nailed really it. impressive. You nailed it. He almost got busted here. Um, his undercover agent yes. slipped up and started calling him Joe. <laughs> and uh, To the point where everyone's wondering, why are you calling him Joe? Yes, and Lefty stopped everything and said, 
who's Joe? Why do you keep saying Joe? And then they had to keep this thing that Milwaukee, everyone's Joe. And so maybe I should start calling you Joe, Steve, or Jesse, yeah. Joe. I don't know. But yeah. Or is it, is it really Steve? <laughs> there you go. Mm. Could be your, yeah. The, All your right, we got to take, take a break. I want to do some quick hitters with you. We got the Taylor Swift thing. We, we certainly have the Barbie snub at the Oscars. I know you guys want to talk about that. Jesse O'Poyan, Mary Spacuza, two outstanding journalists on our Monday edition of WTMJ Now. Got a few minutes left with our guests, our journalist guests, Mary Spacuza and Jesse O'Poyan from Walking Journal Sentinel. All right, some quick hitters here. The Barbie snub, Mary. You saw the movie. I saw the movie. Jesse, did you see the movie too? Three times. Same. Wow. Three times. I can't wait to hear what Three Jesse times. has to say about this. So was Greta Gerwig snubbed in the Oscars? I would have liked to see her nominated. I mean, obviously, Ryan, Ryan Gosling's amazing. America Ferrer, amazing. Um, but I thought... Just the movie itself was phenomenal. I thought Marco Roby was very good as Barbie. So I would have liked to see nominations for both of them. But not that I've seen every single movie that came out this year. But I, I saw it three times and loved it. You both seen it three times. Did you yeah. go together the three times? We did not. We should. Do you want to, <laughs> no, we should. Um, I took Let's my. Do it again. <laughs> yeah, right. I think my daughter saw it four times. So. Wow. Well, yeah. it did great. You know, the the uh, the satisfying thing for Greta Gerwig is the movie made like more than a billion and a half dollars or something. So she's not hurting on that side if she got a piece of it, which I'm sure she did. All right, Jesse, you saw it three times. Was this a snub? Um, so they did. I mean, yeah, I would have liked to have seen um, the 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 best director and the best actress nominations. Um, they did get other nominations: um, adapted screenplay, best picture, obviously um, Ryan Gosling and America Ferrera. So they weren't completely shut out, which is good to see. Um, like Mary, I haven't seen all of the other nominees, so I can't. I guess I can't really say whether it was better or worse. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, like we said at the, at the top of the hour, though, all these things are subjective. Um, you know, it's about what the judges think and what the voters think. So um, yeah, it was, it's a bummer, but I think there are also probably other things worth getting more upset about. You know, one of the things that I, when I notice and look at these, when I look at these nominations for movies or, or acting. If you nominate Ryan Gosling, don't you almost have to nominate Barbie, who the movie's named after? It just seems like a logical well, next step. There's no Ken without Barbie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I thought she was Knuff, man. I don't know. <laughs> One of our guests wore the Knuff shirt. In oh, I was going to get it for my daughter, and I really wanted to get it for my husband, and I think we need to. <laughs> would, yeah. he, would he wear that shirt? Oh, I think he would. Oh, he must be a nice guy. I don't know. Have I ever met a nice your husband? Guy. I don't, I don't think know. So. I don't know. I'll have All to right. bring him in. Another quick hitter, Taylor Swift. We so we we've talked about it uh, from the, the sense of the Grammys, but this woman, this young woman, thirty four years old, I guess that's young still. Well, for my age she's young. I hope so. <laughs> um, making a billion <laughs> that's funny, Jesse. From someone who's made a billion and a half dollars and is just starting to get warmed up. Um I want to ask you a different question about her though. What do you make of the NFL part of this whole story? Because she's literally, I'm not making this up, folks. She's creating a market for the NFL with young teens, and even more specific than that, young teen girls, which is, they're already dominate. They kill every other sport. It's not even close. Uh, Jesse, we'll start with you. I don't see the bad side of this from a business decision by the NFL. This makes absolute sense. And oh, by the way, for all the, the haters, she's on for like, Maybe 40 seconds when she's at a game. It's like, that's nothing. I mean, I could have gone on about this for the whole hour. But <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I've, I've always been an NFL fan, but I loved seeing videos of dads and their young daughters, um, you know, 
getting excited to see Taylor Swift on the screen or getting excited to see Travis Kelsey because it's Taylor Swift's boyfriend and they're having this bonding experience. I think that's really cool. Um, she's obviously making the NFL money, um, so I can't see how anyone could be upset about that. Uh, also, this isn't the first time that we've seen cultural backlash to uh, a famous woman dating an NFL player and showing up at the games. I think we remember the whole Jessica Simpson, Tony Romo scenario. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the girlfriend, I think, is always going to get blamed a little bit for something or people are going to be angry about it. If I mean, she's, she's actually been more of a good luck charm, it would seem, than, than the opposite. But um, I don't know. Yeah, like she can't control how much they're putting the camera on her. She's just there having a good time, hanging out with her friends, supporting her boyfriend. Like, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> I just don't understand. <laughs> and actually, if you watch the last game, when they had the camera on her for more than like a, a second or two, she said, please don't do that. Or go something away, like, please. I yeah. think she yeah, mouthed, yeah, go yeah. away, please. So clearly right. she gets it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who wants to have themselves, when, the, when it's in that football game, wanted them to be the center of the attention. I understand she's an artist. But she also understands where she is. And, and in that environment, it's more about the players on the field, I would think. Although the NFL, credit them. They're, they're taking full advantage and, and using the opportunity to push their product even broader. All right, real quick before we let you guys get out of here. Uh, a story that you are working on or looking ahead to this week. What's going to pop this week? Jesse, you're first. Uh, well, I guess it already popped a little bit this weekend. Um, but watching the um, the race upcoming for uh, former now former Senator Lena Taylor's seat, now that she's um, been appointed as a judge, we saw that uh, State Representative Lakeisha Ayers is getting in the race, and Lena Taylor sounds like she's going to be backing her. So I'm um, interested to see if anyone else gets in there or if that's a uh, smooth sailing for Representative Myers. Yeah, time is of the essence there as well. All right, uh, Mary? And I'm just reemerging from my stacks of FBI files, and I'm writing back to some really nice reader emails and calls that I've gotten and trying to get back to everybody one-on-one. I did um, jump in to get to work with Carrie Spivak, who's an amazing reporter, and we have a story that just posted this morning about um, the sentencing for those men who created a fictional country and a fictional consulate to try to um, get, I think they were going for about $11.5 million in federal money, including PPP money. So um, they used the money on like a Ferrari, or no, uh, Maserati, sorry, not Ferrari, Maserati, Porsche, Mercedes, um, one of them moved into the Ritz uh, in Miami, that was, I think, 33000 a year, it's or I'm sorry, 33000 a month, yeah. Tip yeah. of the iceberg, in yep. my opinion, because yep. so much money got pushed out so quickly. Good reporting, as always. Mary Spacuza, just your point, you'll be back in some form or, or fashion with a different journalist throughout the next weeks and months ahead. Thanks for the great hour, both of you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you.